and away we go again. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leave It In The Locker Room. My name is Charlie Green and of course I am your host for this podcast series where each episode I'll be having a current or exporting professional on the podcast and they'll be putting forward three things they would like to remove from their respective sport. The idea is to give sporting professionals the opportunity to come on and speak openly about what really annoys them while partaking in their sport and have a good natter in doing so, really. I will also find out how my guest is doing and the feature locker room questions will finish the pod as always, so lots to look forward to. But before I introduce my guest today, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for the incredible reaction the pod has received following the latest episode of Nelly Corder. I received a whole heap of positive messages, DMs, lots of shares and posts across social media. And also the exciting news that Leave It In The Locker Room was officially positioned 12th in the category of sport podcasts in the whole of South Africa on Apple. So a huge thank you to all the South African supporters. Also, if you didn't know, Nelly, after the episode, went on to win her LPGA event in Orlando, where you'll be happy to know the podcast took all the credit for her win and has started the trend that if you come on the podcast, something positive will happen to you in the near future. So, uh, sporting professionals, my DMs are open and slots on the pod are filling up fast, so get in touch. Right, I think it's time to welcome on my guest for today's episode. And we're finally venturing into the most followed sport in the world. Of course, it is football. And today's guest is a former English professional footballer whose 18-year career saw him play for Premier League teams Aston Villa, Birmingham City and West Branch Albion before venturing over the pond to play for Portland Timbers. It brings me great pleasure to welcome on Liam Ridgewell to leave it in the locker room. Thank you for coming on. And how are you doing, Liam? Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Very well, thank you. Trying to keep my sanity and keeping busy. I went for my morning run, but I'm not really a road runner, but I've started. So, uh, yeah, trying to trying to keep active as much as I can, really. That's very brave of you. And then there <laughs> are now some signs of freedom coming up in months to come. Mm. Have you been bold enough to plan anything for the summer? Uh Yes, uh, we have a, uh, a Ridge Fest. We started it last year. It's a bit of a, like a, a little party that we get together with the, with the family. So depending on numbers and things like that, we're trying to plan that for my birthday, uh, July time. So we'll wait and see uh, how many numbers we can have that. So it will go ahead, just depend on whether it'll be five people or 80 people. So we'll wait and see. <laughs> what does Ridge Fest look like? Do you have sort of musicians come in or what? I'd like to. Last year, we just had the music outside. I've just got a little sound system outside. So we just, I did a barbecue and drinks and that, things like that. So hopefully I'm trying to step it up a gear this year and hopefully, I know, get my, my brother's a DJ. So maybe I'll get him to DJ or try and source someone outside. So uh, yeah, a few musical uh, instruments wouldn't go amiss. That'd be interesting. It might annoy the neighbours a little bit. We'll wait and see. Well, I mean, they haven't had anything to annoy them for a year. So maybe they could put up with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah um... I'm sure they'll be round. They'll be round. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. And was it always football for you from a young age? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, as long as I can remember back, you know, even pictures that I drew was always real football. I was always walking around the house with a football, always had one at my feet. So it was, yeah, it was always football. Should say, you know, that I enjoyed school and things like that. But, you know, I went to school to play football. That was sort of the way it was. And uh, yeah, always, it was always football for me. And did anybody inspire you to take up the game? No, not inspire. I just, the old man played. I've got two older brothers as well. They played, didn't play to professional. Well, I think my old man played semi-professional. Um, so I used to go to his like vets team on a Saturday uh, and a Sunday and watch, watch him play, you know, weekly. So I was, I was already always in the round it, watching it and around groups of, you know, men 
that are talking football in, in the pub and like that. So it was something that I sort of grew up with and, you know, something I wanted to pursue myself. And for a large sort of percentage of kids in this country, a childhood dream is to become a Premier League footballer. But what mm. I want to know is, was there like a particular moment for you where you could just sort of sit back at a young age and realise you had what it takes to become a Premier League player? No, about about six months ago, I, I've sat back and relaxed and realised that I, I suddenly played in the Premier League. That's about it, I think. Sitting back and relaxing and, and saying that I've got it takes to be a Premier League professional footballer is... I didn't sit back and relax. You know, I saw a path and thought, you know, this is the right one. That's what I sort of moved to Aston Villa for and, and realised that was my path and that's what I was going to pursue. But never sat back and relaxed. I think uh, that would be the end of it. And that was, you know, my retirement. So that's when I sat back and relaxed. Yeah. So after academy spells with West Ham and Villa, you signed a senior contract with Aston Villa and so you go on to play mm. Premier League football for them, Birmingham City and West Brom. I know this is probably an impossible, hard question, but is there a particular club where your loyalties lie? Not, not really loyalties, because each one gave me something different. You know, Aston Villa gave me my debut, so without them, I'm forever grateful because I wouldn't necessarily have gone to where I've gone to. Without Birmingham, you know, signed for them, I wouldn't have never won the Carling Cup. Without West Brom, you know, we got relegated at Birmingham and they gave me a path back into the Premier League. If I had to pick one for my sort of best time, it'd probably be my Birmingham time, you know, the, the group that we had and winning the Carling Cup, you know, sort of stands out massively, but I'd be doing the other teams, you know, certainly Aston Villa gave my debut, um, you know, uh, sort of disheartened against them because it's, it, it, they, everyone gave me such different things. And because obviously clubs are, are, you know, based in the Midlands and are rivals. So what was the reception mm. like when you went back to play against your former teams? Interesting. Very, very, uh, very interesting. Very hostile. I mean, it would have been hostile anyway because it was Birmingham. But, you know, for myself as well, you know, they, they you, you didn't get the round of applause that some people go go back for. Um, that's for sure. So uh, a few few heckles, a few jeers, something that I really enjoyed. I was looking, I was actually looking forward to it and I was looking to see how much they could give me sticks. So uh, something I really enjoyed. I think I didn't do it in disrespectful way to move to Birmingham. So I think a lot of them respected me. And just give me the jip just because, you know, they, they should do. So I respect yeah. them for that. But they didn't, didn't give me overly stuff because I think they knew why I, I moved to Birmingham. Yeah, are there any particular moments though that stand out that just fans shouted at you that you can remember? Absolutely. It was at Villa Park, actually. I think it might have been Derby Day uh, or it might have been I'd gone back to West Brom. I was playing left back and I'd gone to get the ball and I'd thrown the ball on. It came back to me and I passed it away. And some geezer shouted on crap hair, haircut. It was a bit a bit more thingy than that, but I watched my language. Crap haircut. And I thought, God, that's a bit out of order. So I turned round and the geezer was bald. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I started laughing. I thought, yeah, what? The, you know, like, you've lost your hair, mate, and you're saying my hair is crap. So uh, that was quite a funny moment. He started laughing in the end, but it was a quite sort of, I turned round to sort of have a go at him and I ended up, end up laughing. So it was quite a good one. I guess that's just the way you got to laugh things like that. So after 12 years in English football, you then decided to make the move out stateside where you played for Portland Timbers. How did this move come about and why did you decide to leave the Premier League at what many would consider your sort of prime age of 29? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a shock. At West Brom, the last year sort of didn't go to plan or, or sort of how I saw it was going. The club was sort of going in a different direction. We'd had Pet Mel in the year, I think, start of the season. It's end up being a bit of a shambles. Uh, Dan Ashworth, a really influential person at West Brom, had left. And I was more and more wanting to go home, moved back to London. So I was ending up commuting from home 
or going back and staying with mates and staying with mum and dad. Uh, and I wanted to move home. So at the end of my contract, West Brom, they in turn said they weren't going to renew my deal, which in turn I was looking to move home. So it sort of coincided quite nicely. Um, I then went on my uh, 30th birthday uh, holiday to Vegas. I suddenly get a phone call after as I just landed saying, Portland Timbers uh, want to speak to you. Would you fly up to them? Now, I wouldn't have flown up if I was from England because it was it's a 12, 13-hour flight, but it was hour and 45 minutes. So I was like, right, okay, well, let me get the four days of drinking and, you know, messing about out of the way, and I'll, I'll fly up there after. And, you know, that's how it come about, really. So it was an incredible experience, and, and one I, I'm absolutely delighted that I, I flew up there because I probably wouldn't have done it from England. I would have signed for someone back home that I was speaking to before I went. And how was the flight with the hangover from Vegas to Portland? Well... I just started drinking again. I'm not going to lie to you. I just had a few more drinks. <laughs> a Bloody Mary, which is obviously pure American. Had a few more drinks and landed. As I got in the car, Pablo, who picked me up, actually went, "Cool, you had a good, you had a good four days, didn't you?" I was like, "Yeah, I did. Yeah." So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a nice way to start a little holiday, and then got the surprise of obviously uh, finally signing for Portland. I can imagine you turning up and there just being like, what has happened here? Like, who are we yeah. Who are we potentially yeah. siding? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why they wanted me to fly up there, to make sure that they weren't just fly, signing a, a crazy man, I suppose. So uh, I got in and, and spoke to the owner and the manager and, uh, yeah, it went really well, obviously. And it was something that was, was probably one of the best moves, you know, of my career, really. That's good to hear. And regarding the MLS <laughs> competition, that you captained Portland to success in 2015, where you beat Columbus Crew, I think it was 2-1. To me, it seems mm. America and the MLS has all the ingredients and potential to become something extremely successful in the footballing world. So would you say it's mm -hmm. just a, a firework ready to be lit, or are they still missing some key ingredients? No, I think you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's sort of a firework ready to be lit. You know, it's it's they're doing... They've been burnt before, obviously, in, in years before. So I think they're trying to make the steps, the right steps and sort of tiny steps to make it great. It will do. It will It will be great. It will be everything that everybody, you know, wants it to be over there and everyone anticipates it. You know, once they get on sort of the time, time scale similar to Europe, once they sort of get the season similar to Europe and they can sort the fundamentals of the weather and things like that, you know, they'll be able to get into the season of, of everybody else in the world, as, as people say, in Europe. So it's just simmering, you know, and investment just keeps going bigger and bigger into each team. Each team that comes in brings a new training ground, brings a new ground and, and raises a bar. So it's it's great to see and, and something that, uh, you know, obviously I'll keep an eye on over the years. And, you know, I'm due to go back there to visit, hopefully, it was meant to be last summer. So hopefully we, we, we get out this summer. Yeah, because... To me, it seems like, I mean, the money's not an issue for them and the talent's not an issue. It's no. just always just trying no. to glue everything together to make it work. Mm -hmm. Once people go there, listen, there's a there's a thought of it, MLS, you know, still, which is crazy, of a retirement home and, and it's not up to stand and it's not up to scratch. It is. It's, it's more than up to scratch. It's more than up to top 10 championship games. Yeah, you get the lesser ones and the lesser crowds, but that, that will slowly be squeezed out and new teams will bring in more fans so it's 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 on this roller coaster it's just building up so it's 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 a lot more than people think and when people go there and watch and experience it they come away and go cool i didn't realize it was like that so it's something for people to realize go and watch it then then have your opinion so it's it's definitely on the rise 
Mm-hmm. And before we move on to the main reason you've come on to the pod today, you're now retired back in England. Do you miss mm-hmm. your playing days? And what's next for Liam Ridgewell? Uh, do I miss it? No, I don't miss it. I, I miss playing, but I, you know, I get to play probably sun on, on you know pub team on on a, on a Saturday afternoon every now and again. I don't miss it because of the way sort of the football's gone. When I came back from America, that it had changed. You know, sort of a lot of the fun had gone out of it. A lot of the enjoyment is very robotic. Um, and I didn't enjoy that side. You know, I like to enjoy myself while playing. I like to enjoy and, and show my own character in football. And I, I, it didn't seem like that to me. So that's why I say I don't, I don't necessarily miss it. Of course, I miss football, but I don't necessarily miss that side. Um, You're content. Yeah, yeah. And right now I'm doing my badges at the minute uh, to become a manager. So um, I'm just in the middle of doing my B. So it, just looking forward to that, really. So a future manager in Liam Ridgewell, looking forward to seeing Yeah, well, I've been at Dover for the last seven weeks, uh, which has been fantastic with Andy Hess and Tyler. One of my best pals plays for them. So I went in there, which um, has been you know incredible and something that, that has been brilliant for me. They've been furloughed at the minute, anyone that follows uh, the National League. So that's been a bit of a shame. But also I've been working with the under-14s slash under-16s, 18s, a uh, bit of position Pacific stuff up at Aston Villa. So I go up there Tuesday and Thursday nights and Saturday. So that's about to start next week. So mm. it's sort of coincided quite nicely. So, you know, just trying to dabble in everything and learn as much as I can, really. Lots to look forward to. Um, because we do have to get on to the reason why you've come onto the podcast. That is for you to come and put forward your claim and reasoning to why you want three certain things <laughs> to be removed from your sport football. So the way this is going to work is yeah. Liam is going to put forward three things he would like to remove from football one by one. And we're then going to discuss them. And he's going to try and convince me that they should be removed <laughs> from the sport. So after hearing Liam's arguments, I'm then going to pick one of the three things to hypothetically remove from football to then leave it in the locker room. So Liam, what's the first thing you would like to remove from football, please? I was going to leave this till last, but I think a lot of people will probably back me up. I'm going to go with VAR to take it out. I mean, off, I think I'm going to bet all my money that this would have been one of the three <laughs> things. So, like, what frustrates you so much about it? Well, I actually, we in in, in uh, MLS, we sort of sampled it, sampled it, or or tested viewed it. it first, or tested it. Yeah, we got yeah. to test it. Now, the way they did it was a lot different to how we were doing it. First of all, in the Premier League, they were getting it, they were getting a, a, a the replay, or whatever. The people would then speak to the referee, and then they'd go to the screen and review it, which we're doing now. So it weren't too bad. I still couldn't stand it, but it weren't too bad so the way it's done now. But I just feel it's taken the, the the talk out of going into a pub and talking about, oh, we got done by this today and we got done by that today. The mad thing is, is we're still doing that. <laughs> we're still talking about, oh, we got done today. The, the goal last night where it was a sleeve, which yeah. I don't get. So yeah, it's just, it's a bit of a wind up and I don't, we're still complaining about certain goals and certain things. So why spend the money? Why not spend the money and help the referees by, you know, train them up a little bit better or giving them another referee to maybe help them. It just yeah. it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. That's an interesting idea, another ref. But, you yeah, know, I, I agree what you mean, because the reason it was brought in was to fix the mistakes and we're still mm-hmm. having them. So do you want VAR or yeah. completely removed or do you just want it changed? No, done. Get rid of it. <laughs> Just, just get rid of it. I'm happy with goal line technology. You know, I'm happy with sometimes you get the rubber degree and you create your own luck. That's absolutely fine. VAR is just, it's just a wind up. It's just a, another talking point that you're talking over and everything else. It's just taking it away from the game. So get rid. Get rid. I love, I love it. So I don't 
really know where to start with tackling this issue because there's so many ways of going but with VAR when it was sort of brought in to 20 competitions all around the world back in 2018 were you in favour of being introduced then? No I had arguments with the referees in America when they first come in when we pre-season they told us we were going to you know test it and I said the exact same argument normally in the, in the meetings you stay as quiet as you can because you want to get out of the room as quick as you can you don't want to listen to these referees and I just couldn't bite my lip. I said, why don't you just spend more money and train the referees up? Why give them another screen just to look at? Because even when they look at the screen, it's still in the eye of the beholder. They can still mm-hmm. get it wrong because they're still looking at the same thing. Even look at they look at it five or six times, they still get it wrong. We still got six things wrong, decisions wrong that year, even with them looking at the screen. So yeah. train the referees up better instead of giving them a TV screen to get it wrong as well. So do you have any issues with... It are coming from a referee's point of view or is it from a technology point of view? Yeah, probably a technology point of view. I don't mind the ref. I, I, ref's going to get things wrong. Players get things wrong. Managers yeah, get things wrong. Humans. That happens in life. They're humans. I don't mind that. And how many do they really get wrong? You know, they might get a, a little bit of an offside wrong, maybe. But we're still having that problem. So the referees and the linesmen don't even do their job anymore because they wait for VAR to do it for them. So they just have to run around blow their whistle a few times and wait for VAR to go, yeah, just go and watch that. All right, sweet, I can do that for a moment. So the issue is always coming from the technology from Stockley Park and the people in the little box, you think? I think so. Just let the referees, they're trained, they're, they're you know, incredible referees, they're incredible at their job. You know, I'll, I'll just let, let them do their job. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes sometimes. That, I, I think that's just part and parcel with it because everybody makes mistakes. So I'd rather just see them make the mistake instead of, blaming a computer screen or something in Stockley Park that ain't even at the ground, ain't even taking up the atmosphere, doesn't even really know the feel of the game. You know, it's, yeah, it's a tough one to even wait around to, to watch for, that's for sure. And you also hear a lot of pundits on TV complaining about what's happening at Stockley Park because they're not sort of players even, like they don't feel they no. don't know the game. And I get that completely. Mm. And yeah. in the Premier League last season, I think it was something like, VAR overturned 109 decisions leading to major delays, stoppages in the game. So do you think that's another reason people are so frustrated with it? Because it interrupts the flow, which is so unique to football. And then players and fans can't even celebrate goals with full confidence anymore. I don't know why one of the top strikers, when they score, just doesn't celebrate. If I was playing, I scored, I just wouldn't celebrate. And then people would go, why don't you celebrate? Well, I don't know if it's a goal or not. We've got to wait five minutes to see if it's a goal. So just don't celebrate. Be the moodiest person, do a martial, be the moodiest person in the world and just walk back to the halfway line. Don't celebrate in front of anybody. The fans would be going mad. They'd be like, well, why are you not celebrating? Well, I don't know if it's a goal. So I, I think it takes away the feel of it and it, it, it takes far too long. How can rugby get it sort of, you know, so quick, you know, so, sometimes? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like it. It's, it's not enjoyable, that's for sure. I, I can tell, I can tell. <laughs> I do have to sort of give the other side of the argument here. And there have been examples of VAR yeah. being used and it comes to the right decision. And arguably it is better for the mm. game though, isn't it? Yeah, I get why, why they're trying to bring it in and, and why they're trying to do it. Because cricket... Cricket get it so bang on, mm-hmm. you know, rugby get it so bang on. But I just think that their stoppages, you know, they might have a water break and people are running on to give them water and cricket, you know, got the same. So I think it just doesn't sit with a flow. But I understand mm-hmm. why they're trying to bring it in to try and rectify these mistakes. But no, 
Yeah, I mean, because essentially we can't have the best of both worlds. And we were complaining five, ten years ago when no. somebody was a boot offside. And now it seems to have fixed that mm. issue. But I, I agree with what you're saying. And it, it just may be because we're still in the early days of using it in this game compared to, like you mentioned, rugby and cricket, who have been using it now for over 10 years. Maybe eventually we'll get mm. to the stage where we will be able to use it more effectively. But over sort of the last, what, two to three years of being used, is there one particular decision that stands out to you where you were like, this is it. If this has to go, this is just madness. Yeah, it was the other, it was the other week. I actually tweeted about it saying, it's enough's enough now. They need to put a player on to help the referees out. If someone got sent off and it was, um, uh, it was West Ham, West Ham midfielder. Oh, it was, I know, it's Suchek. Suchek, that was it. Yeah. Suchek, yeah. Where he tried to move his arm. For every player, every player that's played the game and anyone that's even mostly watched the game would be involved. You could see that he wasn't intentionally trying to elbow him. You could see it in there. He went and watched it nine, ten times. Still came back and still sent him off. And it was, oh, it's... And I, I don't tweet a lot. I even tweeted about it. It was just, it was a wind up. That was sort of my, do you know what? This is, this is a waste of time. <laughs> and I presume this is chat amongst fellow professionals that, you, that agree with you. Like they all hate it as well. I haven't met anyone that actually likes it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, I haven't met one person. I haven't met one person that's gone, do you know what? I really like it. It's doing a really good job or it, money well spent or, you know, it's great. I haven't met one person. I'd like to, but I haven't met one. So, Actually, I like, don't know if I would like to, but I... <laughs> it would be a good debate. <laughs> but before we move yeah. on, I mean, so you know, you want it removed. So would you just go straight back to what it was like before? Or would you try something different? No, I'd go back to the way it was before. I don't, I don't see why there's two linesmen who do that side and that side. The referee goes diagonally, so they should be able to cover enough. They should be able to cover enough of the enough of the game. And I think. If they, I'd say that if they went back to normal, I think people would be a lot more sympathetic with the referees, personally, mm-hmm. with, with their decisions. Because it would be like, well, do you want VAR? Nah, fuck that. Well, then there you go. Yeah. Stop, stop complaining. So stick with your ref. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay, good first argument, Liam. So what is the second thing you'd like to put forward to be removed from football, please? The second one I'd like to be removed is the different footballs throughout the league. Which okay. <laughs> I, I don't understand. It'd be great for someone to explain to me. But I know Premier League play with night balls. You then go down to Mitre. I think it is in the Championship and probably League mm-hmm. One, League Two. Then you go down to New Balance in the in the Conference or National League. So I've played with the night balls. They're the best balls. The the feel of them is in, the difference is incredible. The New Balance one mostly break your toes. The Mitre ones they break your toes. So. I'd rather just see Nike give all the balls all the way through the leagues and have everyone have the, the same amount of balls. Because when you play in the FA Cup or the Carling Cup, you have to get mitre balls because they sponsor that. So then you have to get them balls to play in that. So you change the balls through the week to train with them ones and then you suddenly go back to Nike ones for the Premier League. So I'd like to see that change. That would be interesting. Okay, this is an interesting one. So yeah, obviously, like you mentioned, there are different balls used across all competitions and leagues when you're playing. Mm. And like, so you can tell the difference. There is a major difference, you're saying. Mm, massive difference. Huge. And what way do particular balls react compared to others? Yeah, some of them obviously are more wobbly. I suppose there's a proper proper term for that. But a lot of them more wobbly, a lot more movement. The way, you know, when they get cold, the, they, the, the lever on them is thin. It actually hurts your foot kicking it. I'm sure people out there have, have know what I'm talking about. 
you know, with different balls when they've bought different balls. So it, it's something that might not just have the be- uh, the best balls or one ball throughout all the leagues. No, no, I know what you mean. I remember back when I used to try and kick a ball around at school. You know, you'd get uh, mm. well, an early January morning or something, and they whip out the umbro balls, and everyone'd be like, "No, oh. not the umbro." Yeah. Like, it, it, even yeah. a header, you had to cut, cut, You might as well yeah. have a concussion every time you. And <laughs> yeah, that's another that's issue right. yeah, in yeah. the yeah. game. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, Christ, that's right. <laughs> So, talking about the ball, firstly, like, what do you think it is about the footballing world that has this obsession for the ball? Because every time they announce a new Prem ball or a new World Cup, mm. ball, sort of social media seems to go crazy. But like, my, but why? It's just a ball, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it as much as I used to like seeing the different, the new night ball. But I, I wouldn't go crazy over it. I love the Champions League ball. Don't get me wrong, I love the Champions League ball. I used to have a little one, Champions League ball. That's probably the best ball. Like, it's spongy, it's nice. But I don't get the obsession of, you know, having to change it so much or, you know, put different colours in it or change it radically uh, and the obsession of going crazy over it. I don't, I don't get that. So, yeah, it's, it'll be an interesting one for uh, a ball expert, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think either <laughs> of us are ball experts. But for nah. me, so you mentioned there like the Champions League ball. Is that a ball which just stands out that you really liked? And was it because of the more, is it more the feel that attracts you to a ball or is it more the look? I suppose growing up, you know, obviously United being in Champions League, seeing that, seeing that iconic star ball, I walked into one of the sports shops one time and 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 bought one or felt one, and I thought, God, this is decent. So I don't know, the feel of it is a lot better, looks better, but yeah, it's probably just sort of stuck in my head from Champions League nights watching Man United, I suppose. So yeah, it's probably probably that that reason. And it, is there a, a particular ball you can remember playing with where you'd see the brown and you'd be like, oh no, like this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> might might a New Balance then balls, yeah, the probably, probably the might have one. Probably mm-hmm. it's probably stems back from him to change it for the FA Cup or or Carling Cup or whatever it was to uh, to use. You think oh, just it's just hurts your toes, hurts <laughs> your feet. So if it was up to you. What would you do? You would have it the same, the same ball for every single competition in the world. I'd have the same ball. I'd have the same Nike. I'd have Nike do them all. Or everybody, Mitre and New Balance, just copy the way either the Champions League ball is. I think that's maybe Adidas on yeah, the is. way Nike do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I get it. It probably costs more. I get that. Fair enough. Then, do you know what? Just let Nike do all the leagues. Fine. And just give them, everybody gets a Nike ball and plays with a Nike ball. I do get what you're saying, but from my point of view, the reason we use different balls in leagues and competitions, and I'm sure you agree with it, it is all marketing. At the end of the day, it's yeah. money, it's sponsorship. Yeah. And that is yeah. the reason they want their ball being used in certain competitions and leagues is for promotional reasons mm-hmm. for the manufacturer, which creates huge money for those involved, I presume. So if we were to only use one ball, let's say, in English football, so we're talking both the League Cup, the Premier League, all you know, leagues down, the FA Cup, do you... Do you not think that would just create a massive bidding war to get the rights to use that one ball for the whole of English football? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I do think it would create the, a massive bidding war. It'd be interesting to see who actually puts their money up for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously Knight would probably win and probably discount Mitre and New New Mitre and New Balance, which would be a shame. But yeah. I don't like the balls, so <laughs> I mean, I don't play with them anymore. So it's probably uh, an argument that don't really coincide with me I only have to kick him every now and again while I'm while I'm training well, you, so, uh, exactly. when you are coaching you will have to kick it every once in a yeah, while yeah that's but... right yeah so you have to kick it a little bit but I do think it would create a bidding more and it'd probably be really bad 
uh, for so them. Do you think that but would be bad for the game if, to create this? I do. I, I think so. Yeah, because you you'd have the the biggest sort of the people who, who have got the most amount of money would obviously mm. reap the wall rewards and take over completely, and you know Mitre would lose that and New Balance, which I wouldn't want to see that, but. I don't like the balls, so maybe I do, <laughs> but I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I feel like it'd almost turn into the TV rides thing with the football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably would do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Lastly, on this topic, do you think fellow pros and former players would agree with you on this? I think so. Certainly, fellow pros or, or former players would definitely, I think, would agree that they'd rather have played if they'd use the different balls. They'd rather just use the night balls. Yeah, we used to sometimes, yeah, keep it consistent just to play with it, just because of the feel, not just because of the name. It's just the feel of the ball. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the more thing about it. Yeah, you get used to it. Okay, another good yeah. argument. All right, so Liam, what is the the third and last thing you would like to put forward to the locker room to be removed from football, please? I think it's the communication between the players and the referees. I think okay. obviously there's been there's been big debate and big talk about it. I think you know obviously rugby have been able to you know, the respect of, of the player with the referee and the other way around, the referee with the player. I mean, obviously, people talk about the players with the refs. You know, I've had referees been, you know, very either big time or, or not wanting to talk to you in certain aspects. So I think just the respect and all that to get that back a little bit would be a lot better, sort of similar to rugby. Listen, I, I give referees absolute stick and pelters all the time. So it's coming from me. But still it'd be good to be able to see that they give a decision and someone don't throw a strop or you know certainly swear at them or, or talk to them badly so it's definitely come from both sides but I think the players are, are the ones that need to really sort of uh, try and help the situation. So what exactly annoys you so much about this relationship? <laughs> it's, well, it's just going it's sort of just going down the pan I think so I think it annoys me that you know now VAR you know it goes back to it now VAR is in you know, mm-hmm. people have lost that respect for the referees altogether. You know, there's no respect whatsoever. So it annoys me that, you know, there's no communication. Uh, it's annoying me that the captain used to be called over and you used to be able to have that conversation. I think that's sort of slowly going out of it because you can't even go to the referee no more. You can't even look over their shoulder at the TV screen to see what they're, they're looking at because you can get yellow carded. So it annoys me just that it's that, uh, camaraderie or sort of that that mm-hmm. bond between captain and 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 ref or player and ref is sort of is going out the game, which is a shame, I think. Because you compare this relationship with other sports, like you mentioned rugby, for instance, where mm. the players call the ref sir, and there's absolutely there's mm. no talking back or abuse between one another. No, and like they they you can only have the captain talk to the ref. So mm. it seems that more both parties respect each other. And I've actually had a guest mm. on from rugby who plays in the premiership i think it was episode three or four and he talked about the respect you know shown between both sides so do you think like football can learn a lot from rugby absolutely listen i don't want i don't want it completely gone i like the banter mm-hmm. and that side of it between the ref and you know the plough you know oh you're having a, you're having one today ref so are you you know that side of it i don't mind that i don't think they need to call him sir and i don't think they need to not talk to him whatsoever I get where rugby's got to, fair enough, but I just it would be good to be able to see that, you know, you don't you don't see the other side of it where you're you're sort of talking to them disrespectfully in both sides. So yeah, you you talk about both sides. Let's start with the players' side first. And do you essentially do they just need to stop with the abuse and surrounding when they get a decision that goes against them? Is that sort of the first thing we need to stop really doing? 
yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it, it, it you know, the referees make trying to make a decision or trying to get it right. VAR coming isn't helping because they're, you know, the, the, the respect's gone out of it. But yeah, just to try and not react that nothing's going to happen back to them because they think they can speak how, you know, however they like and nothing's going to happen to them. Where you know they wouldn't talk to certain people that way, but they they know they can get away with it. If they suddenly got yellow carded straight away, which they they said they were bringing in, then you might might not get that. So uh, that that would be good to see. Because at the end of the day, like I'm, I think we all agree it's a hard job. Referees are humans; mm. they're going to make oh. mistakes. You know, so horrendous, ultimately, this horrendous more job. respect just needs to be yeah. shown. And you yeah, see it absolutely. I feel like you see it all the way down the football pyramid. It's not just in the Prem or the League One no. Championship. You even see it at the grassroots game on a Sunday, that they're just copying abuse mm. that has yeah. no, no place in the game. Absolutely not. And some of the refs are not even getting paid to go and ref the game. Grassroots, some of them aren't even getting paid. Some of them are there off their own back. So you're giving them stick for coming them to come and put your game on. If you ain't got a ref, you can't play your game. So why would you give them stick? Because they could walk off and your game's abandoned. Don't make sense mm-hmm. to me. You know, it doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. And the players don't want to referee the game themselves. So you need that geezer. You need him to ref the game. <laughs> so why give him a stick to, to make him walk off? So, yeah, that, that's the crazy thing uh, to me. But hopefully one day it might might sort of change a little bit. Yeah, I hope. And then he's, you said it is not just the players it is no. the refs as well, potentially. So from a ref perspective, mm. what do you think they can do better to improve this relationship? Well, obviously, you used to go into the dressing room to speak to them before. The captain used to go in and, and things. I've, I've even been a captain. And you go up to the ref and they, they tell you to go away. Now, you spoke to the player before the, the game to say, if you've got a problem, please come to me instead of the players coming up. But then they're telling you to go away. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say in the dressing room, if there's a problem, come up and speak to me. You're trying to go and speak to them and they keep telling you to go away. They don't want to speak to you. So, you know, you've got to have that respect both ways and, and they've got to respect the player that they might need their help every now and again or they might need to listen to them to get their point across. Okay, well said. And now let's look <laughs> at your personal relationship with rest throughout your career. And do you think yeah. you're an easy player to deal with? No. No, I don't think I was an easy player. No, definitely not. No, I think... Uh, Listen, if, if the ref was, you know, fair, well, I say fair, fair when it, when he could be and sort of had a little bit of banter and listened, then I'd be absolutely fine. You know, I'd, I'd still complain, but I don't mind. Oh, you're just complaining and, and sort of that banter back. But if they just went, nah, nah, shut up or sort of just ignored me, that would just, it would wind me up. You know, which, mm. which is the same with everybody, I suppose. Sort of, if someone ignores you, it's a wind up. So, I wasn't the easiest person to get on with, but I did have some really good good relationships with most of the refs most of the time. So yeah, it was a it was a tough. I wouldn't like to be a referee. I wouldn't like to be refing people. But yeah, sometimes you uh, you you get you get a bit lost and uh, enjoy the game a bit too much, I suppose. Yeah. No, I definitely wouldn't like to be a ref either. But yeah, like you, <laughs> said, you said you had some good relationships with refs. Was there one in particular that you remember? You know, seeming he was a pretty sound guy, and you got on with. Um... Halsey was all right. Halsey was all right. Um, Plattenberg, he was all right. Plattenberg was not not bad. I remember having a beer with him after the Sunderland game one one time. I'm, I'm sure I remember in the players' lounge. So he was all right. He weren't too bad. He was. He used to give the banter back, which players loved. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't mind that. He's one of them that would sort of come back at people. So uh, yeah, it was it, probably them two. There's more than that. 
obviously I can't remember all the rest of the mm-hmm. names, but there's more than that that I, I got on with. I wouldn't be able to name the ones I don't, didn't get on with. I couldn't even remember their names, but so that was my next uh, question. I think there's more than that, but <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew that was coming, so I thought I'd prompt that one. But no, I, I don't think I could name. I don't think I remember them. Okay, well, we'll let you use the media handbook and get out of that question, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> and how about so off the pitch? You said you you know you went for a beer with Klattenberg, but where mm. fans and media don't get to see what were the relationships like with refs then? That was all right. I think it's got. It looks to me it's got a little bit worse nowadays. The stewards run on, you know, they're surrounded and they sort of wait to go off. You know, sometimes they used to walk off and you'd sort of have a little bit of banter with them or, or chat with them as you were going off. But I think it's got a little bit more nowadays them and us or us and them, um, mm. you know, a bit disconnected. So I think, uh, you know, anything in the tunnel, you don't really get to see them that much or, or things like that, I suppose. So it is it's getting a li- little bit too much us and them personally yeah. so i think that's what it stems to to try and bring that back a, a little bit but i think while var is around isn't gonna because they're just gonna rely on var and just say well i'm stopped your park i'm looking at it on, on the screen so they've made a decision not me that's what it's getting to yeah and did you ever know anybody or maybe even yourself to try and sweet talk a ref in order to get in his good books oh yeah all the time oh absolutely yeah that's 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 number one you know going out you know all the best today ref you know, even with the linesmen or lineswomen, you know, if they got a decision that I like, so, you know, you give them a round of applause, you put your thumbs up and you say, well done 25 times to make them feel good. Yeah, that was, that was sort of standard procedure, that one, to try and get them in your good books if you could. All about the psychology. Okay, it's got to that <laughs> time we have to pick one of these things to remove from football and leave it in the locker room. Now, Liam, I have really enjoyed listening to your points and reasoning. I'm not going to lie, it's not, as easy, it's not an easy decision. But what I've decided to hypothetically remove from football and leave it in the locker room is, drum roll please. I'm going to stick in VAR and VAR. I mean, I just, you can't, I can't get my head around it. I think you make some good arguments with the ref and player relationships and the ball is an interesting mm-hmm. one. Um, Mm. But Dvar, it's just killing the game. It really is in my eyes. It slows down a game. It interrupts flow. It interrupts momentum. It affects the fans' experience. That ultimately, like football, is there to entertain the fans at the end of the day. Mm. And yeah. like we talked about, ultimately the main reason it was brought in was to amend mistakes and wrong decisions. And it actually seems to be getting more wrong than right at the moment, and hasn't done the job it was intended to do. So we're just chucking money. At and it's not, you know, solving an issue. So I agree with you. It has failed, and yeah, it's got to be removed from the game. Love it. That's it then. Gone. Gone. <laughs> so yeah, into the locker room. Var goes. Var. Hopefully, <laughs> well, hopefully people are listening to us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now it's it's time for the end of podcast feature locker room questions. Henry Thomas Aldridge, the mic is yours. questions with Liam Ridgewell brought to you by Buda Vida the activewear brand giving back to women in sport and I'll be in Liam's good books with this one because unlike VAR there's nothing confusing about heading over to the Buda Vida website and using the code hashtag leave it in the locker room to get 30% off your order that's right listeners don't miss out on Buda Vida's new arrivals including their fantastic new bamboo range Simples.
Now it's time to play our end of podcast feature locker room questions an opportunity to find out what really went on behind the closed doors of the locker room throughout Liam's footballing career. So uh, Liam, are you ready? I'm ready. Go. What was your go-to pre-match meal? Scrambled egg and hot chocolate. Gotcha. What were your go-to pre-match music artists? Oh, good question. Um, I ended up making a playlist, but it probably would have been some like garage tunes, jungle tunes, probably uh, to, to get me going. Any particular artist? Oh, too many. DJ Lucky and MC Neat, Artful Dodger, So Solid Crew. Love it. <laughs> Did you have any pre-match superstitions? Uh, I used to lay my towel out, lay my towel out, and I'd lay my socks and all my gear in the order that I put them on. Uh, so it'd be uh, short socks, uh, under wrap, shin pads, long socks, boots, mm-hmm. tape. Okay. Who was the funniest person you shared a locker room with? Craig Gardner. Uh, loved to mess around. Uh, we used to get up to uh, mess abouts and uh, winding people up. Uh, so probably probably guards is probably the pick of the, pick of the bunch. And the best dancer you saw in a locker room? Best dancer? Oh, Rodney Wallace. I played with him at uh, Portland Timbers. Good dancer. Good for a night any, out. Any so, particular uh, move he would whip out every time? No, he just he just seemed to have them all. He just looked cool. Anything he did, anything he, any dance moves he was doing, he just looked cool. So I uh, tried to replicate what he did, but couldn't. Just at the bar. It was an easier, easier job. <laughs> By yourself, which teammate in the locker room spent the most time in front of the mirror? Um, Gary O'Connor at Birmingham used to stand in front of the mirror for quite a, a bit of a time. Moisturizer, hair stuff. I mean, obviously, I need the hair dryer, so a lot of people probably would say me. So, but uh, he was definitely in around me while I was while I was doing my hair as well. And the messiest teammate you spent time with in the locker room? Oh, Boaz Myhill, horrendous. His stu- his gloves and boots are oh, just his locker. Is oh my god, he used to be across from me at West Brom. Well, he and could just, still it was smell everywhere. Oh, it was it was everywhere. It was in. I think he had someone move next to him, and his stuff then ended up in that locker as well. Shocking! Just loads of gear everywhere. Brilliant. I feel like goal, I feel like goalkeepers are the worst for that sort of stuff. I, I get they've got loads of stuff. They've got gloves and boots and that, but still, it was yeah horrendous. <laughs> Worst dressed in the locker room. Worst dressed. Wow. Claudio Jakob used to come in some dodgy gear at West Brom. Weren't my taste. It was definitely, definitely interesting. What was the example? Uh, just his gear. It was just too big. For, for me, it was just too big for him. Or too, you know, like just the colours didn't go together. It didn't match or just didn't look good. Sort of, he springs to mind. Obviously, you get some, you know, dodgy gear. But yeah, that was, you know, just trainers when he should have worn shoes or trousers when he should have worn jeans and, you know, bits like that. Okay, penultimate question. Your worst moment walking back into the locker room? Probably after I scored an own goal in my first game uh, against Aston Villa in my first game for Birmingham. We lost the game 2-1. I scored an own goal. Gabby beat me to the header to score. And Gabby actually cleared one off the line for me to draw the game. So, yeah, didn't didn't go all to plan, put it that way. Yeah, I'm sure. And then (laughs) the best moment walking back into the locker room? Two, actually. Uh, the MLS Cup for Portland Timbers, um, take, taking them all the way, and then Carling Cup for obviously Birmingham City against Arsenal. So, two amazing times to walk back into the change room to uh, crack open the champagne and the beer and, and celebrate. Good after pushing for one though. I think the, the League Cup with our, uh, against Arsenal that's almost ten years ago exactly, isn't it? So would you? That's say right. Like that yeah, is... it was a week. Yeah. yeah, 
week so ago. So would you say that yeah, is yeah. probably the greatest achievement of your career? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, obviously, it, if I had to pick one, it would probably be that because I'm from, you know, the UK and something I watched, you know, week in, week out. The Portland one was huge because of what we did, you know, to, to oh, in my first season to, to win their first MLS Cup. But if I had to pick one, it'd probably be the Carling Cup because of obviously for being from England, I'd say. So I'd push though. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd push. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liam, I, I have so many more questions to ask you, but sadly, that's all we have time for. But thank you so much for coming on and, yeah, just being a great, passionate guest. No problem. I really appreciate having me on. And that concludes another episode of Leave It In The Locker Room, the eighth episode in the books. Who would have thought it, eh? Uh, thank you so much for Liam Ridgewell for coming on the podcast. I wish him all the best in the future and potentially a new manager on the horizon. Exciting times. Thank you so much, of course, for you all listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you'd like to keep up to date with all the news or if you'll be coming on the podcast in the future months and everything else, please follow at By The Green Media on Instagram and Twitter. Of course, also please download and subscribe to Leave It In locker room on spotify apple or wherever you listen to your podcast and south africa let's see if we can break into the top 10 huh that'd be pretty cool wouldn't it and uh yeah spring is on the horizon everybody so better weather longer days and more episodes to look forward to so i can't wait for you joining me then